morning. Hope you guys are good. Um, I have uh, enjoyed the last few weeks being able to spend some extra time just praying and studying and um, and uh, really appreciate uh, those who have, have preached those different weeks and, and uh, taught, taught us all. I've enjoyed being able to come in and hear the messages, whether it was John or Justin or Joey or Mr. Butch, who's preached the last couple of weeks. Um, I hope you got as much out of those as I did. Um, I promise I have not been in the Bahamas or St. Lucia for the last month. Um, I have been around. When John was preaching, he uh, referenced one time, he's like, Brandon's just taking a break. He's not at the beach. And I was sitting right there. I'm like, no, I'm right here. I ain't going anywhere. And uh, so anyway, I, I'm glad to be back. Um, and, and today I'm excited to begin sharing some of what uh, God's been showing me, um, not just really over the last four or five weeks, but really over the last 12 to 14 months and how a lot of that has begun to come together. Um, so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Uh, in fact, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 to start. And we're going to read that. Then we're going to uh, do a little moving around and read a few other passages this morning. Um, I want to uh, tell you a couple of things before we jump into this. The first one is that tonight at 6 o'clock we're going to have uh, our prayer and worship time. Um, and so if you can make that, we'd love for you to come on, encourage you to be a part of that. We want to uh, get together and, and worship, but we also want to pray and be intentional about praying. Um, and what's been on my heart today for that time is for us to really spend some time praying uh, for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, uh, to begin to see God move in a great way, um, establishing his will here on earth. He's given us dominion to fulfill our purpose of filling the earth with the glory of his image and to rule and reign in a way that glorifies him. If that's going to happen, it begins with prayer. And so I want to invite you to come out and pray with us about that. The second thing is um, that our heart and soul class, which is heart and soul is really just an introduction, not really so much just for Connection Church, but to the church in general. What's the purpose of God's church in the world? Um, and then we show you kind of how Connection Church fits into God's overall purpose uh, for His church in the world. And so if you haven't been through that, I'd encourage you uh, to go through that as well, to check that out, um, just so you know where we're coming from, um, how we see ourselves fitting into God's global purpose. Um, that's going to happen next Sunday at 1045 in the Heart and Soul Room. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, love for you too. Just ask you to sign up at the Next Steps table out there. Um, we'll get you taken care of. And so we'd encourage you with those two things. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to begin reading there in verse 19. I want to encourage you also to bring a Bible on Sundays. I, I don't want to sound old-fashioned or sound um, like I've uh, uh, gotten really old and outdated. Um, but I want to encourage you to bring a Bible. Uh, also, uh, God's Word is God's Word, not because it's on paper, but because it's God-breathed. It came from God. It has authority because of that, not because it's on paper. But I will say this from my experience of reading both on my phone or an iPad and also out of a book, that as I spend time in God's Word and as I'm reading my Bible, um, looking at the book, there's something that begins to happen when you're in it over time 
you begin to actually not just know the scripture, but, but somehow it helps you remember where you can actually know, okay, um, I remember this verse, and I remember it was on the top left-hand part of the page. You begin to associate it that way. There's something about it that helps it stick in your mind. And if we're going to have the Word of God in our mind and in our hearts, I would encourage you to, to get a Bible, like actually one of these old-timey ones, right? Get a translation that, that you can understand. I usually read the NIV or the ESV, one of those two. I preach out of the NIV. I study a lot out of ESV. Get something that you can understand. But I would encourage you to bring the Bible. We're going to use it every week. Begin to allow God's Word to penetrate your mind and your heart um, as we're in it and as hopefully you're in it throughout the week and learning more about who God is and what He's done, who you are, and who you've become in Christ. And so I want to encourage you with that. Today in uh, the message, I want to talk about finishing the race, finishing the race. And um, I feel like today what God spoke to me in, in my office was that this is the first day of a new season. We've been talking about this transition thing for a while. It's the first day of a new season. I want to share kind of how I feel like the Lord's shown me that. Before we do, I want to pray for us and then we'll get going. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, God for how it speaks to our hearts. Father, I pray today that we would not come to you like a dumb, mute idol. We would come to you, Lord, recognizing that you're the living God and the God of the living. And God, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would speak to the hearts of the people here today. God, they don't need my words. They need to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that I would not exist just as some sort of mediator between you and them, but that, God, they would hear you for themselves. So, Lord, I thank you for all you've already done today. I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's writing this, obviously, to the church in Corinth. As usual, and Paul does this very often in his letters, he's defending his apostleship or leadership. Um, he's defending the gospel that God has given him to preach and to proclaim that we are forgiven of our sins and made right with God, not by doing a bunch of good things and making ourselves right with God, but by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus who makes us right with God because of his sacrifice on the cross. That's the good news, or part of it is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that because of faith in him, we're made right with God. We're no longer enemies. We've been reconciled. So this is something that Paul did all the time is he's defending the gospel. He's fighting for the truth of the gospel. He's defending his leadership. There are people coming in who are trying to undermine his leadership and the gospel, the good news that he preached. And so this is part of what he's doing. And he's been telling them about the rights of an apostle, but how he hasn't abused those rights. He then comes into verse 19 and says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. That's a lot of words, but basically he's saying I'm no longer under these rules to try to make myself right with God, but I've been set free from those rules. But 
The Spirit lives in me, bringing me into Christ's law, which Jesus said all the law and the prophets was summed up in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, I'm still under that law. I'm under the law of Christ, the law that the Spirit has written on my heart. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Listen to that. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in his blessings. What's he saying? I I become like those under the law to save those under the law. I become like those who don't have the law to save those who don't have the law. I I become weak to the weak. I I do all of this stuff. But why did Paul do it? He said, I do it for the sake of the gospel. I do it because of the good news. I do it because of the grace that God has shown me. He's saying, this is what's driving me, pushing me forward, causing me to to go after the goal that God has for me, the task he's given me to complete. He says, I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Verse 24, he says, do you not know? So now he's talking about how God is has used him, how God works in him, that he's striving to do all of this for the sake of the gospel. And then he comes to us, the reader. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last. Therefore, I do not run like someone ain't running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so he's telling us, run the race in the right way. Pursue Christ. Recognize who he is. Go after him. Finish what God's given you. Run this race. And we know in Hebrews it says to run the race with perseverance. He's telling us get in this race and run it like you're running for the goal, like you want the goal. You think about it, nobody ever trains for the Olympic races with the hope to come in second. They train and they strive to get the goal. Now the goal is not salvation. We don't work for that. But our goal, because of what God has given us in Christ, in salvation and having a relationship with him, the goal then is I'm going to live and run this race, live this life in a way that is pleasing to him. In a way that brings him glory. I'm going to finish the task he's put before me. And so he's encouraging us, run the race to get the goal. Let's go on to another verse now. Philippians chapter 3, if you just flip to the right there, a few pages, you'll find it. Philippians chapter 3. In this, Paul has just been, again, telling them you can't be saved basically by works. He's showing them, look, even in my own life, if anybody could be saved by what they did, it would have been me. It would have, he's talking about his, where he came from, the people he was born to, how righteous he was according to the law. He's saying all these things, all of these great things that he had accomplished in the Jewish faith. But he gets to verse 7 and he says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith. In other words, he's saying my pedigree, all the great things I accomplished, the way I climbed the ladder in the Jewish faith and made myself something, all of that is garbage in comparison to knowing Christ. The, what a righteousness I could try to stir up for myself is nothing compared to what Jesus gave me. And so he goes on, says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, listen, he's saying, I'm not fully there yet. I haven't completed this race yet. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, forgetting all of this stuff that I tried to build my life on, forgetting the good, forgetting the bad, I press on and I move forward in Christ, going after the goal to finish the race, to receive what he has waiting for me. Another verse, let's go to Acts. You're going to have to go to the left this time. Acts chapter 20. In this verse, Paul is headed back to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke in this section of Acts is recording Paul's missionary journeys where he went out fulfilling the race, running the race, preaching the gospel. In, in this one, we're going to pick up where he's on the way back to Jerusalem. He's on the way there and he stops and he's talking to the Ephesian elders, these leaders in the church in Ephesus. This is what it says in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, this is Paul talking, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So we read this, we've seen where he's telling us, run this race to get the prize. He's saying, I'm running this race. I haven't yet laid hold of the goal, but I'm running to the goal that Christ has called me to, to fulfill the task that he has for me, and then to receive the reward that is waiting for me. He says here that my only desire is to finish the race and complete the task. Let's go to one more scripture, 2 Timothy 4. You got to go a good ways to the right this time. Verse 1, Paul's writing to kind of his understudy, his apprentice, the one he's raising up in the Lord, his partner in ministry, Timothy. He knows he's about to die. He knows his time is drawn very close to, to, to go and depart this life. He says in verse 1, he's going to give Timothy a charge of what he's to do when he's gone. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. What's he telling him? He's saying, look, these times are coming. But you finish the race. Discharge all the, the duties of your ministry. Do this work in season, out of season. Keep running. Finish the task that you've been given. And then listen to what Paul says here. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but listen, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What's Paul telling him? He's like, look, I'm coming to the end. He said, but I've, I've gotten to this place where I finished the race, Timothy. I've run the race. I fought the good fight. Sometimes it wasn't easy. Listen, what a, great, what a great statement for us to be able to make at the end of our life. I, I fought the good fight. I ran the race. I've completed the race. Even though in, in so many ways it was difficult. Even though there were bad days, bad seasons, bad years, bad decades. Even though sometimes I woke up and I felt like I was living in darkness. Even though there were times of loss and suffering and hurt, I pressed on. I kept the faith. I kept going. And because of that, I've run the race. And I know that what's waiting for me in heaven far surpasses all this stuff I've been through on earth. What a great statement to be able to make. That I finished the race. 1 Corinthians 9, he says, run the race to get the goal. Run the race. Run the race. We go to Philippians. Paul says, I'm running the race because I just want to know him. I want to suffer the way he suffered as I proclaim the gospel, as I share the gospel. I know that I'm going to be persecuted for the truth, but I want it. I want to know him. I want to know the power of the resurrection, and I know I'm going to go through suffering, but bring it because I know that this is my task and the mission and the race I'm called to run. We go to Acts, he says, listen, all my desire since I came to know Christ was to finish this race. We come here to 2 Timothy and he says, I've run the race. What an awesome progression to see in Paul's life. And see, here's the thing for me, and I hope it's true for you. At the end of my life, I want to be able to make those same statements as we're passing the torch to someone else to carry it further. That I'm looking back and I'm not looking back with regret and what ifs. I'm looking back and my heart is full, much like it is as I look back over the history of the last 10 and a half years, even the last 19 or so years that I've been saved and walking with Jesus, that my heart is full because I see the goodness of God. It doesn't mean there's not valleys. It doesn't mean there's not low times, not hard times. But the thing that builds in me more and more and more is this realization of the glory that's on the other side of all of this. My heart is for us as individuals that we'll be able to get to the end of this and say we ran our race 
and we finish the task. My heart for us, probably even more so than as individuals, as, as a corporate body, as the body of believers, that we would run the race, that we would finish the race, what God has called us to. Finishing the task, finishing the race that he's put before us. Having been faithful in all of that, that's my heart for us. But here's the thing, guys. When you're going to run a race, and you got to know where you're going, right? You got to know where you're going. You got to know the destination. But, but just as important as it is to run a race knowing the destination or setting your GPS, it was so funny. Um, last weekend, I was at my aunt and uncle's house, and um, we were talking about how to get somewhere. And my, my uncle walks in with an atlas. <laughs> and... And my kids were like, they, they literally, they, look, they go, what is that? I'm like, don't worry about it. You don't need it anymore. And, and so, but he walks in with this big atlas. And so he's looking at it and, and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know the last time I saw a map, right? You just put in your GPS, but you have to enter the destination. You got to know where you're going. You're running a race. You got to know where you're going. That's important. But listen, just as important as knowing where you're going and the destination or where the finish line is, is knowing where you are. Look, if you don't ever get in the starting blocks and you don't know where you are and where you're beginning from, you get disqualified. If you don't have a starting point, even a GPS can't tell you how to get there. There's got to be two points. And part of where we are as a church and part of what I feel like we've got to do and have been doing, and honestly, for 12 or 14 months, I feel like this is where I've been a lot of ways, is we've got to take an honest evaluation of where we are. An honest one, right? And, and how many of you, you you've been to, to a, a mall bigger than the Statesboro Mall? You don't really need this there. As big as it is. But how many of you walk into a mall, and if you're going to go to Gap or what, I don't know what stores are in a mall because I avoid them like the plague. But if you're going to go to a store in the mall, what do you do? You walk in the front door and, or one of the doors, and what's waiting on you there? The board, right? And what's the first thing you do when you get to the board? Don't act like y'all don't know. The, the ladies, they're like, oh, we all, I just know where the stores are. I don't need the board anymore. <laughs> but for guys, we walk in and we're like, where's that store at? And the first thing you have to find is you are here, right? You are here. It's got that little thing. Kind of like that thing. You are here. And it shows you where you're at. So you can find where you're going to. For some of us walking up to that board, maybe ladies, I'm just saying, you, you see it and you're like, woohoo! The guys walk up to the board and we're like, dang it. How do I get there, get it, and get out as fast as I can? Right, guys? Amen. And so, but you find where you're at. You figure out where you're starting from. I want to talk just a little bit about the race we've been running and where we are. Because the thing I want you to see, and if you've been here very long, how many of you would agree with me that God has been very, very good to us? Very good. He's done exceedingly abundantly more than we could have ever thought or imagined. The things we've seen happen, 
that they truly have exceeded uh, anything we could have thought, anything we could have imagined, anything we could have dreamed. It's been incredible. I went back and looked at a few things, and I want to share some stuff with you, some things that have happened in the last 10 and a half years, because I want you, not because I want to say, look at us. I want you to see the goodness of God. But I went back and looked, and in the last 10, 10 and a half years, God has brought 669 people to making a decision for him in the last 10, 10 and a half years here. That's pretty amazing. Now, that's in Statesboro. If you take the other campuses, now churches that were planted out of here, there's 1,074 people who came to Christ through one of those churches or Statesboro. When we look at, at baptisms, baptisms in Statesboro, we've watched 939 people celebrate their profession of faith. They come and publicly they profess their faith before people. They demonstrate through baptism what has already happened in their heart. 939 in Statesboro. Between all the churches, all the, all the campuses, we've seen 1,310 people baptized in the last 10 and a half years. Pretty amazing. We've been able to be a part of seeing God plant other churches, you know, out of here. In Vidalia and Millen and uh, Pooler, Savannah, whatever we're calling that these days. And then um, Dublin. And we've seen him now. He's doing great things through that. Listen, we've seen hundreds of people who came to know Christ and they found community with other believers and they've begun to grow that relationship with Christ. We've seen college students who came to Statesboro to continue in education, who came to know Christ, who began to grow in that relationship with Christ, who graduated and went literally around the globe carrying Christ with them. What an awesome opportunity God's given us to reach people for Christ who are going to be here long enough to train them up and then he sends them all around the world to spread the love of Christ and the truth of his gospel. We've seen that. One of my favorite things, I guess, stories to think about and the reason it's been on my mind, uh, especially this morning, is I was talking with someone about it yesterday. One of my boys had a baseball tournament yesterday, and so in between games, I was talking with a guy who doesn't go to this church, goes to another church here um, in the area, and, and we were talking about it, and, and I didn't know it, but he had been a probation officer. And, and so if you hear probation officer, Connection Church, kind of know where this is going. But um, anyway, he, he told me, he said, y'all used to meet in that therapy building uh, over there that used to be a therapy clinic. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, we call it the Blue Building. Um, it was over there behind Burger King. I said, it's where we used to set up drug deals and stuff. And so he's like, yeah, um, that, that's right. He said, I remember when y'all were there. He said, there was a guy that I used to have to come and see there. Um, he was on probation. And he said he was doing some maintenance or something there at the church. And I was like, yeah, um, I know exactly who you're talking about. He said, I always felt kind of bad coming in and like, kind of interrogating somebody in the church, but he was always up there. I said, yeah, I know who that was. I said, that was Don Baldwin. And he said, that's right. Now I remember his name. Now that you say it, I said, yeah. He said, whatever happened to him? And I said, well, he 
passed away a few years ago, but his story is pretty remarkable. And I began to share it with him. And the first time I met Don, he was selling cars at the Toyota place over here. And Susan was needing a car. I went and, and, and uh, bought her a car. He was such a good salesman, I bought two, actually, two cars. And so I'm like, what happened? You know? And uh, so anyway, he sold me those cars. Uh, seemed like a good guy. Didn't know much about him. Bought the cars, left. I think I'd ever see him again. Well, a few months later, I'm at the Blue Building in there um, at, at where we used to meet, and, and somebody comes walking in the door, and they've got one of those little bitty uh, flip notebooks, you know, and, and he comes in, and the guy comes in, and he's like, hey, I wanted to ask you, I noticed that the lines in your parking lot are getting kind of um, old, and you can't really see them. I, I, would you be willing to let me, you know, repaint them? I'll do it for like, it was like $200, $250. And, and uh, I got to talking to him, and and he was telling me his story. He'd been homeless. Um, he had uh, been on drugs. He'd been in jail, just this, this crazy life. He had a master's degree. I, I believe it was from Valdosta State or somewhere. But all of this stuff had happened. He, he knew what it was to be without a home, without a next meal. And so he's sharing all this with me. Um, anyway, I ended up letting him go and paint the lines in the parking lot. And this guy was Don. Don just came walking in that day. And so I remember it was like 95 degrees. I mean, you can't believe that here, but it was 95 degrees at least that day. It was so hot. And he's sitting out there. Um, he's painting these lines. And, and his story, he would tell you this if he could. This is how he used to tell it. He, he said he was hot and, and he was going to take a break. So he sits down on a parking, one of the parking bumper things, you know, that's out there. And he said he's sitting there, and he said people were kind of coming in and out of the church, and he said people were coming in and out, and they were just being kind, like, would you like something to drink? Can I get you something? Is there anything you need? You know, basically just checking on him. And he said in that moment, he said, like, God started really working on his heart, and he's sitting there on this parking bumper, and he said it hit him, and he realized, I'll never be, be able to get this thing right. I'll never get my life right. I'll never be right with God if I don't fully 100% submit my life to Christ. And and so he said sitting right there that he committed his life to Christ and he, he just really surrendered himself to him in that moment. And after that, Don painted the lines in the parking lot. Well, then he just kept showing up. Like every day he'd come and he'd be like, hey, can I do so? What can I do? What can I help with? What can I do? And so I'd give him stuff to do. And pretty soon I started feeling guilty about it. So I hired him. And so he was doing maintenance stuff. Well, as he grew and, 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 and everything, he began to do a lot of outreach in the community. He was on staff doing outreach and helping people and people who had been in that situation. Eventually, he kind of broke away from the church to be able to go and try to have a broader ministry that he helped other churches. And I tell you that to say, it's one of my favorite stories. I, I love Don. And when I did his funeral, it was difficult but I can tell you, as I did that funeral, I knew that Don Baldwin was exactly where he wanted to be. He had his ups and downs. He was not perfect. But when I think about him and talking about him yesterday with this other guy, I brought it to mind. I think about him quite often. It wasn't just that we made an impact on his life, God using us in that way, but he made an impact on mine. And I think about him all the time. It's, it's cool to be able to look back and see stories like that. Things that God has done. People who've come to know him. People taking the next step of faith in baptism. Getting in community. Different things like that. 
that are so powerful. I say that, and I, and I would ask you this question after saying all that. Do you, would you say that God has done good things through the church? Absolutely. Has it been effective? Yes. But I will say this. I believe that what we've seen is the tip of the iceberg of what God wants to do. I believe it's just the beginnings, and, and I believe it goes much deeper. And that's a lot of what I want to share with you. As I began the last 12 or 14 months seeing a bigger picture, a bigger plan that God has, a bigger purpose for his church, I kind of started wrestling with it because my thought was kind of like this. Okay, I'm seeing more than I've ever seen. I'm seeing it more clearly than I've ever seen. So what was the last 10 and a half years? And not really like in condemning myself, but in a way of going, okay, God, I know 100% sure we were doing what you put before us to do. So what is this? And as I was praying about it, it was actually before an 11 o'clock service. It was a Sunday Justin preached a few weeks ago. I'm praying in my office before that service. And I felt like God really started speaking to my heart. And the first thing I felt like God said was, it wasn't wrong. The last 10 and a half years, obviously, they were not wrong. But I felt like what God said was they weren't wrong. They were just incomplete. And not incomplete, listen, not incomplete from a standpoint of we weren't doing everything he had for us to do at the time. Incomplete from the sense that if you're going to run a 100-meter race, you got to run the first 10 before you can run all 100. Okay? And so he starts showing me this. You know, I've been talking about this transition for a long time. Y'all probably like, transition, when are we going to do it? You keep talking about it, but I don't see nothing changing, right? I know how y'all think. So anyway, I'm thinking about this. I'm praying about this. And in that same time in my office, God was like, Brandon, I've had you in this church in transition since the first day you took the first step of faith to start the church. And it hit me. Ten years with God is nothing. I'm like, it's a whole decade. Ten years, it takes forever. God's like, oh. bam, that fast. And God's like, Brandon, this has been going on for a long time. This has been going on for a long time. This transition's been happening. And since the first day I called you out, he said, this has been happening. And now you're going into a new season. But the transition has been there. Same time, I'm listening, listen, like this was one of those times where God just, it seemed like it was just downloading stuff just real quick. The same time, I felt like he brought me back to the original mission statement of this church. I'm sitting there and I'm kind of like, okay, it's just starting to make sense. And then it hit me. And this part kind of, you ever get kind of geeked up when God does stuff? Like you kind of get like those Holy Ghost bumps or whatever they call them. I'm sitting there and, and, and the original mission statement came back to me. And by the way, if, if you can quote the original mission statement in its entirety, right now it says two things. One, you got a good memory and you've been around here a long time, but you also get 10 bonus points. So anybody that can quote it. Yeah, quote it. Amen. Yeah. 
Connecting unbelievers to God and believers to each other through the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Anybody that's ever been taught about mission statements knows that's way too long. And you know what happened was that we, we know that's what God called us to. And over time, what kind of happened is it sort of got shortened to where we would say connecting unbelievers to God and believers to each other. And I'm sitting in there and I'm praying about this and I feel like the Lord's really speaking to my heart. And then God says, look, Brandon, that's what you've been doing for 10 and a half years. You've been connecting unbelievers to God, not just me, but us. Connecting unbelievers to God and believers to each other. We've been seeing people get saved, coming to know Christ. We've been seeing people get in community with one another. It's been the focus. It's been where we're at. And it wasn't that, that equipping the saints for the work of ministry was something that wasn't important, but it was like God had us zeroed in on this. It's not like now this is going away. That first part remains. We just saw that. But here's what I felt like the Lord said, Brandon, you guys, y'all, he talks to me in a southern way. He said, y'all have been doing exactly what I gave you to do, and this is what fired me up. He said, now let's finish it. And I'm sitting there, and it's starting to make sense. It's kind of coming to me. I'm like, this is good. And so I start seeing it. And so now what I realize, guys, is that God has called us to finish this race. And, and I believe what God's calling us to in this next season is, yes, connecting unbelievers to God and believers to each other, but really beginning to put a focus on preparing people to do God's work in the world. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry, preparing people to do God's work in the world. We're going to talk about this and lay this out in the months to come, but I want to tell you real quickly two goals that I believe God has laid out for us. If we're going to run the race, the destination in this next season, two goals that I believe he has for us. One is that we begin to see people more and more growing out of a state of perpetual infancy in the church and being prepared to do his work in the world. What does it mean to be prepared? To grow into maturity in Christ. That's what Paul talks about more than anything. His one goal was that people would grow into maturity in Christ. The second part of that would be, as their people are prepared, is that they begin to reproduce Christ in others. That, not that we can do it, but God uses them to help others grow up in Christ. So people become spiritually mature and reproducing followers of Jesus. Focusing in on this more and more and more. The second thing is, and I want to spend just a minute on this. I went over six minutes in the first service, so... Don't pack up yet. How many of you remember us talking the last year or so off and on about the broken system in the church? Please, God, somebody raise your hand. Thank you. All right. When we look at this, you might want to hold on. Your fingers are going to get tired. Um, but when we look at this, guys, and we see this, I want to define that just a little bit. What is, what is the broken system? We talked some about that, but I want you to see one of the reasons that this system in the church is broken. That, 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 and I would call it the pastoral system or the broken system, that it's broken. I want you to see this. Um, I want to start by asking you a question, and then they'll put this first slide up. But, but if we look at the church 
Who's the foundation of the church? Jesus, right? The church answer. So if we can put that, Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. Now let me ask you this. This is going to get real. If we look at the church today in our culture, and we're real honest, who's the second most important person in the church today? You can say it out loud. They won't won't get struck by lightning, most likely. The pastor, right? And sometimes I see like the Protestant church gets on the Catholic church, and they got the Pope, and they got a mediator between God. But I'm telling you, and this is including us in many, many, many ways, so we can't point fingers, but I'm telling you, every church around this area has got their own Pope. Somebody that stands between them and God and the go-between between them and God. We know it's true. When we ride by churches, and the only reason it's not true of us is because we don't have a sign, but whose name's on the sign? The pastor. So if we look at this, the second thing on the foundation is the pastor or the church staff, right? And so that's the next building block. But, but here's the thing, guys. Think about this. And statistically, people who've done church work and all this will tell you, you need one full-time staff person for every 100 people in the church. So let's use our church for example. Now we look at this. Let's throw the, the people in this church up on the board. Probably from somewhere, depending on the week, 1,500 to 2,000 people. All right? So look at this. Proportionally, does this make sense? So take us, for example, if we, we've got about 18 people, if you put them all together, that work on staff in some way, full-time, part-time. you got 18 people, and you got 1,500 to 2,000 that with the way the church is set up today, they're supposed to be supporting and growing. Does that even make sense to try to do that? No. You can say it. No, just not. No, do this. No, it doesn't. Nobody would look at that and go, that looks solid. (laughs) And we look at this and we look at the staff. Maybe this is why the burnout rate in ministry is so high. Maybe this is why nine out of ten don't make it. Because the system doesn't work. And so the system exists in one part because the staff looks at it and goes, we got all these people, how are we ever going to do what we're supposed to do with them? I know, we'll do this, which is the next slide. We'll create some ministry functions and programs that we hope will support them. And so we begin to focus on these ministry functions and programs and the hope and the goal is if we can come up with a good enough program, then people can go through it and when they come out of it, they'll be mature and they'll be grown and they'll be reproducing. Let me ask you this question. How's that working? And so instead of backing away and going, maybe this is broken, what ends up happening is we look at it and go, we need a better program. And then... Superstar Pastor X comes up with a new program or a new book, and we go, there's the answer. Guess what? It's not. Why? Because we exist in a paradigm and a system that's not in alignment with this book. You can write all the books and spend all the ink and all the paper you want to, but until this is broken and it gets in line with that, it's never going to work. 
And so what ends up happening, last slide, the staff spends its time focused on ministry one or program two or function three or whatever these are. And, and we pass out information like we're disseminating, you know, uh, just, you know, like the internet. Here's the information. Just take it. The problem is information and programs don't make disciples. People make disciples. And so we got to get out of this. This doesn't work. Y'all can stay here if you want to, but I'm not. We're not going to stay there. I want to show you, and we've been in Ephesians 4 quite a bit. Go back to Ephesians 4, and I'm about to get you out of here. Ephesians chapter 4. We've talked about this extensively lately. Verse 11, we can clear the board. Got Jedi skills. Ephesians 4.11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So first of all, Paul's saying, listen, in the church, God's given the apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And, and now, listen, there's people that disagree on are they apostles or not. Most of us all, disagree, or, or, all agree that there are no big A apostles. But the thing that most of us do agree on is that God has given certain leadership giftings to people in the church to equip people, to grow them to maturity so that they can go and do ministry in the world. That's what Paul's saying. We've got to recognize this and see this. So in the biblical model, the foundation is still who? But the next layer is not a pastor. It's not even a staff. It's people that God has raised up to equip people to do the work of ministry. It's not some little sliver of the congregation. It's, it's massive. It's school teachers. It's, it's construction workers. It's, it's bankers who've been gifted and called and equipped and prepared by God to do these things. Two, three Sundays ago now was one of the greatest Sundays in the history of Connection Church, and most of us wouldn't pick it up because not everybody saw it, saw all of it, and then it's kind of easy to miss. But it began on that Sunday morning with Bethany Fox, who was singing that day, uh, part of leading worship. She went to Chase that morning and asked if we could change a song. And she changed the, they changed the song, and she shared her heart about some things she had struggled with that week. How many of you remember that? Spoke to a lot of people. So she, she, she does that. She leads in that way. Mr. Butch, it was the first Sunday that he preached. He comes up. How many of you got something out of what Mr. Butch had to say? How many of you wish he was still up here? Shut up. <laughs> right? But seriously, like tons of wisdom, experience, knowledge, time with God ministered to people. That night, we had a connect group leader dinner. Uh, we come in, we eat, we spent some time worshiping, and then Eric Gatto led us in a prayer time. He's a professor at Georgia Southern, leads us in a prayer time. He pushed people out of their comfort zone a little bit, got people together to pray with people that they didn't know, and, and really challenged us in some ways to step up in our prayer life, and people were ministered to. Then Steve Stewart, a, another professor at Georgia Southern, gets up, and he begins to share about um, just different aspects of leadership and in connect groups and ministry and life in general. It was hilarious on one hand, but I took a whole page of notes of things I got from it. And I left the, that, that night, and I left here more 
full, joyful, and excited than, than I can remember being in a long time. Not because I've been, but because it was just awesome. And the reason it was awesome is because so much ministry took place that day. And you know how much of it I did. Zero. And it's not because I'm lazy and I don't want to do it. I love doing this. But I'm in a place in my life and with God where I don't have to be here. I find more fulfillment in seeing other people stepping into what God's called them to do than I do being the one with the microphone all the time. We've got to get to this place where more people are able to function, more people have been prepared, more people are equipping because the next layer then happens where people are equipped these leaders are equipping people. It's life on life. Doesn't mean we change everything we do, but there's some things that need to change and there's some focus that needs to change. It may not be what we do, but how we do it and the focus we do it with need to change. Then the last layer becomes this, that each part of the body is able to do its work. Can we put it, let's just skip that last, let's go straight to the one with our side by side. Which one's more stable? Is it staff doing functions to try to support people or is it leaders equipping people for the work of ministry? Which one's more biblical? And church, this is where we're going. This is where God's calling us to go, not just because he spoke to me in my office, but because it's all in here. I'm excited about it. I, I, I can't wait to see. I want to see what it looks like when I run my race and I finish the task before me and, and I become a faint memory and people are thriving in their giftings and the church is growing and the body of Christ is being the body and people are coming to know him and they're growing and being prepared and they're going out and doing the work of ministry and an entire community begins to be changed. I want to encourage you as we close out. Listen, some of you came in with heavy burdens. I want to encourage you, finish the race. Keep stepping. It'll be worth it. As a church, we're going to keep stepping. We're going to keep pursuing. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep walking. We're going to get here. We're going to bring this into alignment with God's truth and his word. And I believe it'll be like unkinking a hose when everything comes into alignment. I believe we'll see a mighty, mighty move of God. So I want to pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, I pray that this would be something, God, that ignites our hearts. Would you conti continually, Lord, stir our hearts, stir our hearts for you. Let us see you more clearly. Open the eyes of our understanding, God, more and more. God, give us courage to continue to be bold and to step, Lord, where you call us to step. God, we thank you. I thank you for each person in the room, the gifting and calling on their life. God, I pray it would all be used for your glory. In Jesus' name.